This is the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast. And so what I do is I go, um, you know, into a neighboring town where I'm not 100% familiar with it. Like I am the very little town that I live in. And I'll say, I'll meet with the economic development director. I just walk into her office and I'll say, hey, um, I know some of your storefronts are empty in town here. Tell me what's going on. What type of business would you like to recruit or whatever? And, uh, and then, you know, it's really neat because you can get good deals on those things still and you're kind of seen as a uh, you know a really positive factor in the community you're listening to the millennial millionaire through real estate podcast where we discuss tangible tips tricks and best practices for becoming financially free the show is designed for people who want to either start real estate investing or for those who want to scale their real estate business What's up, guys? I'm your host, Jonathan Farber. I hope you guys are well and healthy. For any first-time listeners, thank you guys for being here. I really appreciate it. The goal of this show is to explore ways to become financially free through real estate or to increase passive cash flow through real estate. A little bit about myself. I work in corporate America at a software company, and my side hustle is real estate. I currently own eight units, a mix of small multifamily and short-term rentals, aka Airbnb. I've house hacked, bird, flipped, and as mentioned, short-term rentals to name a few strategies. I love to network, so hit me up on any platform, Facebook, LinkedIn, BiggerPockets, Instagram, or just search Jonathan Farber Real Estate and you should find me. Also, if you are not already in the exclusive Facebook group, this is where I post most and do a lot of behind-the-scenes content of sharing deals, strategies, and systems. See you there. Let's get to today's show sponsor. After building my own portfolio, speaking with over 100 investors on this podcast and many more from the Facebook group, I've noticed a few common themes of why people don't get started or remain successful in real estate. They don't have the right team, they aren't sure of their market, or they don't know where to find deals. The people at Martel Turnkey are fixing this. That's why they offer fully turnkey properties in markets where the numbers actually make sense. What does this mean? It means they buy properties at a discount, fix them up, put a tenant in place, and oh yeah, give you options for property management or financing. They have people on the ground in cities where you can still cash flow and see appreciation every single month. I'll say it as simply as this. When you have the right team and systems in place, there's no reason not to get started. If you like a property or have any questions, you can schedule a phone call by clicking on the link below or going on their website and clicking on the contact tab to set up a call. There is no hard sell, push, or commitment needed. The call will be there to answer any questions you have or to see if or how their products might be a good fit for you and what you're looking for. So visit martelturnkey.com and click contact or send an email to info at martelturnkey.com today. What's going on, guys? Today, we have an awesome episode with Dan Gorman. Dan is based in North Kentucky, Cincinnati area, and he invests in multifamily and mobile homes. Key difference with him is he is doing it with his own money. We've had a couple of guests on that have built up their own portfolios lately without syndicating or diluting a lot of the equity. Nothing against that, but uh, I feel like we're still on this quest to just make that very clear that just because someone owns a lot of units doesn't mean they are extremely wealthy or doesn't mean they own a big percentage of those units. But in this case, at one point, Dan owned 700 units himself and now has scaled it back down to 200 units with some uh, other commercial buildings and retail shops like Dollar General, Starbucks, other triple net lease products. 
Uh, and he's just got a great perspective. Like it's very refreshing. Again, uh, we've had a couple of folks on the show lately that are not like these hard chargers up in your face. People He's just very calm, collected, goes about his business and uh, helps people get started now too. And he's not selling anything either. He just, you know, now takes it as a, as a nice thing to do for people to give back and helps people in his community get started with real estate. So we go through his whole story, how he got started, how he started buying deals. Um, that goes in today, to today's main learning where he bought his first 60 plus units without any of his own money, without giving away any ownership. And he did that with creative financing strategies, mainly owner financing. And then another strategy where he got a uh, creative loan from a bank, but just a very unique setup. And then he was able to snowball his refinances. He was able to improve the properties, do refinances, take his money out and then buy more buildings and just kind of rinse and repeat. So it's really cool. He scaled very quickly. And I think there's a lot you guys can learn from that. Today's tangible tip. Uh, I think I've talked about like different versions of this, but if you don't have text expander on your computer or a keyboard kind of like autocorrect on your phone, you are missing out because these make life so much easier on a day-to-day -day basis when you know you're writing the same things over and over. If it's your name, your address, your phone number, whatever, your email, all these things you can just have that you just type one button now and like a period and it'll just fill out all the rest. And I do this now for like scripts or common replies that I send a lot on text. It just makes life so much easier. And also like filling out forms and stuff when it doesn't auto-populate. I know that's nice too, but like for even emails or just like random stuff that you can't put like a signature in, it's just really nice to have this. So I like text expander. I use it all the time now. And what's kind of a funny feature of it, I think at the end of the year, end of the quarter, it tells you how much time it's actually saved you based on like, it knows how fast you type. And then it says like, oh, if you would have just not had it. So they're trying to quantify the savings or the cost for the product, but it's not expensive. And uh, it's kind of a cool thing. And it's a good little hack. So anyway, that was today's tangible tip. Great episode today with Dan Gorman. All right, Dan, what's going on, man? Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for inviting me. I appreciate it. Yeah, I have a feeling we're going to have a good show today, man. Just from the stuff we were talking about before hitting record, um, you've done a lot in, I would say, a pretty short period of time, um, some fairly sized projects and uh, not your typical type, I, also with the way that you finance some of these deals and some of the creative stuff. So uh, as we talked about, a lot of our listeners, again, are trying to figure out the best way to get started or the best way to creatively finance some of these deals. So uh, I think that's a great place that we can dig into later in the show. But um, just starting out, you mind giving our listeners a quick background from a high level, how you got into this whole world of real estate, and then also from a high level, what you do today in real estate uh, day to day? Sure. Yeah. I um, actually went to college for engineering, graduated with an electrical engineering degree, and I, uh, I uh, wasn't too excited to be an engineer. So I ended up uh, managing a jewelry store for a, a guy I worked through with throughout high school and college. And so uh, that led to me starting my own jewelry business when I was in my mid twenties. Um, and, uh, and so probably from 25 to 28, 29, I was a, I was a diamond broker. Um, and I was just kind of I was first entrepreneur in my family line, you know, kind of started out, didn't have any money, financed everything with credit cards. And, and, uh, but, uh, you know, one thing about that type of business and most businesses, I'd say, are, they're kind of feast or famine in a lot of months. You're some months you're crushing it, some months you're not making any money. And it was just got very unpredictable with a, a wife and baby. So I started, uh, you know, my dad was a home builder and I just, 
had a real desire to be involved with real estate. So I started uh, listening to a lot of, uh, you know, back then it was like tape sets you would listen to as you were driving and things like that. A lot of no money down Carlton sheet type things and, uh, and just uh, uh, meeting with people. Boy, I met with just took a lot of people out to lunch that were doing what I wanted to do, which was uh, investing in larger apartment properties and things like that. So I, so I was looking for a two family and I really couldn't find anything, but I did uh, uh, have a contact, uh, a girl that worked for me, whose, whose uh, contact was selling, you know, 300 units. And so this guy, I met with him and he showed me around. So he, he helped me buy my first 25 units with no money down. I got bank financing for 80% of it. And he helped me finance the rest and uh, with a second mortgage. And and so that I kind of get, got started with, um, you know, it's, it's kind of really using my network uh, to, to figure out and, and, and kind of get lucky enough to find somebody who was an older guy retiring and was really interested in helping me get started and other people like me. So, uh, so I cut my teeth on those 25 units. They were, they were rough. They were in a rougher part of town. Um, it was a lot of work. I ended where up were they and where were you living at the time? I was living in Northern Kentucky. So they were right by the university of Cincinnati. Okay. Um, and so, uh, so I ended up buying another 20 units with no money down as well. Um, uh, same type of thing where the owner was willing to help me, uh, uh, finance the second mortgage, uh, or finance, use the second mortgage to help with my down payment. So I was, uh, kind of running these 44 units. It was total, uh, and just really struggling to run my jewelry business and doing that at the same time, the buildings weren't really profitable. I kind of had a guy who was uh, doing everything for me with a free apartment and about five or $600 a month in pay. And it just was just a ton of work. I wasn't making any money. I was getting a bunch of phone calls every day. And so I, um, you know, when you, when it's different, I think when you, when you own a decent number of units, like you're really owning a business, you're not just owning a, a a few units and then kind of, so it was just taking all the time away from my business. Um, cause I had another business, which was now real estate, which I wasn't making money, any money at. So I figured <laughs> I, uh, I used some contacts in the jewelry business though. You know, the one guy was an investment banker and I started meeting with him and I said, you know, the, I really love real estate way more than anything else, but I don't really have any money, but I need to buy something bigger. Uh, I need something that can have its own staff. And so I need a manager and a maintenance person, at least that. And so, he started kind of uh, counseling me on how to get financing and, and you know, um, things like that. And so I ended up uh, through, through a really unusual set of circumstances. I found a, a 168 unit apartment community that was in foreclosure because uh, the owner was in jail, but they were 100% occupied with a one-year waiting list because it was a, a HUD property, like a Section 8, uh, had a Section 8 contract with it. Hmm. And so, um, so this was a uh, we, there was an auction. I went up there. I brought my buddy who was an investment banker, which gave me a lot of credibility. Uh, and we ended up getting that property without any, it actually was a $3.1 million. He financed hundred percent of it. And it came with a hundred thousand in the bank, like in a reserve fund. So it was even better than no money downs because it got a hundred X, got an extra hundred thousand out of it. And uh, wow. so, so I got, I grew the, the, the real estate business to, you know, whatever that comes out to 220, 230 units without really using any of my own money. Um, and the, 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 the bigger apartment community provided enough income where I didn't need to have the jewelry business anymore. So I kind of just let that go and decided to focus on um, 
on the, the the apartment business totally. I mean, the part that that property would cash flow like crazy because uh, um, you know we had it appraised a year and a half later for four and a half million dollars and pulled a million bucks out and um, and I just ultimately sold that community just as a as an aside. So we bought it in two thousand and one for three million bucks. I just sold it uh, two years ago for ten and a half million dollars. And so it was a, just a home run. I was able to 1031 that into some dollar generals that give just like totally passive cash flow, triple net leases and all that kind of stuff. And so, but going back, you know, when we did our first refinance on that property, we were able to pull out a million dollars. And then I just kind of used that to fuel the growth of the company where uh, through a series of kind of uh, acquisitions, uh, improving, refinancing, pulling cash back out and growing to the point where um, I had about uh, 700 units total, which were a combination of maybe uh, 450 apartment units and 300 and something uh, mobile home pads. And, uh, and then, you know, kind of, it became very challenging for me to grow the company anymore because prices really started going up. So I, so I kind of diverted into uh, distressed shopping centers and office buildings and things like that. So I guess where we are now with that business is I've sold off uh, a lot of the apartments and mobile home parks to, uh, you know, the less profitable ones that were uh, a lot of drama and a lot of, a lot more hassle. Mm -hmm. And I'll kind of down to a couple hundred apartment units and some office buildings with a, maybe a restaurant and you know, Starbucks and a, some dollar generals and some things like that, that are, that are really kind of just more of the cream of the crop where I have a staff that, that manages those for me and things. And so, uh, and I've diverted a little bit into, I, op I started a company in Africa uh, to build low cost homes there. And uh, so we're kind of working, you know, on trying to figure that issue out. It's been challenging mm -hmm. and uh, um, you know, started mentoring a, a young guy too. And that's been very rewarding to uh, help him start his real estate career. So that's it. <laughs> okay. Um, so many, so many good points there. All right. So I'm going to have to, I guess, peel back. Um, okay. A couple of things. So is the model you're doing now, and this will, I guess I asked just to back into then some of the questions, uh, is, is the model you were doing or we're doing or doing now uh, syndication or JV deals or just your own money? Like what was the business model? Well, so because I was able to get into all of those units initially with no money, no, no money out of pocket, uh, I, I didn't have any partners. I didn't have any investors or anything like that. And so then I just used the refinancing of those properties to, to grow the business. And so wow. I have a, now, so at the time, I started to hear a lot, maybe three years into it for me. So we're now in the early 2000s. You know, everybody was saying that the, the way that you really grow your business quickly is you take in outside money and, uh, and you scale. Um, and so I did a couple deals, like a condo conversion, where I took some money and uh, from some family. And then I bought an apartment community where I took some money. Now, I had the money to do it myself, but I was, was kind of thinking that I... Uh, if I really wanted to grow, I needed to take some money. And so these were kind of passive investments. I was the general partner in, in these, but in either one of those cases that it really, probably those were some of my worst deals. Not, you know, the, the condo conversion deal where I took apartments and I were converting them to condos for sale. It kind of happened right during the middle of the real estate crash in 09. And, and so 
it just took forever to sell those units, which would have been, I would have been fine with it. That was, if it was my own money. Um, but, you know, I had some, I had an investor that I had to be concerned about and, and kind of trying to, um, you know, soothe their worries during that whole thing where it was very stressful. Mm. And then I had, uh, and then I had an apartment community that I bought, um, that had a Starbucks and an ice cream shop and a market and, and some apartments. And, and so, I took in a one third partner for that who was passive investor and just basically, so the challenge for me with that case was with, with that instance was that basically uh, he was looking for a specific return and I was looking for long-term value in the property. So if I could, if I saw that, you know, things like a parking lot needed to be put in or roofs needed to be replaced or whatever, um, you know, I would say, okay, I need to do, I'm going to do some things here that are going to reduce our profitability, but increase our long-term value. And that was not what this partner was looking for. This partner was looking for cash flow, you know, mm. uh, predictable cash flow. And so it ended up in a kind of an ugly situation where I had to buy him out. And I just kind of committed that I'm not going to do that anymore unless I have a partner who's, who's just, you know, 50, 50 with me and is willing to put in as much work as I am. Mm-hmm. So that's just a personal thing. I mean, I know most real estate deals are syndicated or have investor money and it works out great. But for me personally, it, it didn't work out as well. So, well, this is something we've been talking about more on the show and I don't want to piss off any syndicators out there intentionally, but we've, I think made a mistake of having too many syndicators on the show. And a lot of our group one didn't really understand the concept of, of syndication. And when they hear someone say they have 700 units or 2000 units, uh, because they're coming from, I'd say the more of the grassroots strategy thinking, they think someone owns, or they think almost any time someone says that, it means they personally own 700 units, and they're just making the cash flow from 700 units, as opposed to what now I want to make very clear for most people, unlike you, that when someone says they own a thousand units or two thousand units, they probably own less than five percent in those deals, like with their own equity. So I guess also what I think about with it is, yeah, syndication is great, but if you don't have to syndicate, like who wants to give away equity? Who wants to dilute their deals? The people that preach syndication and the reason syndication is so popular is because you can't buy deals if you don't have the money. So you need to do something to get the money. And these people then, and I'm just saying this for listener, you know all this, but I'm saying then the way syndicators make money is they make fees on the purchase, on the management, on the sale. And that is how they make money. I don't even, I've changed the way that I looked at typical syndication. Like they're not cash flow investors. They're, they're almost like bigger flippers that are making money on the, the, the buy and the sell. And again, nothing wrong with that, but I just want to clear it up. It's so different than what you did of personally controlling and owning these properties without having a tiny bit of equity. I mean, you were the sole owner of these deals, if not the complete owner of these deals, which is I would say much more impressive. And if syndicators don't like that, then it is what it is. So I, I just want to go back to, and if you, any comment on that, I'm just curious, because I wonder, does it frustrate you at all when you see these people who say they have 7,000 units and they own literally half a percent of them? I'm like, you still have a full-time job. Like you don't even make that much, like. It doesn't, doesn't frustrate me. It confuses me. And I just basically assume I don't assume anything. You know what I mean? I'm, I like, you know, so there are the majority of people that say they have a lot of units though. They are, um, you know, syndicated deals where they, they own a small percentage of them. And so, and the other problem with syndication too, 
just this is this is the only the things that I've been exposed to is that syndicators really they like bigger deals, you know. And so when you when you start to wade into the water of a bigger deal like a 50 unit complex or 200 unit or whatever, this is where the most competition is in the market. And so this is, means you're going to have the least amount of return. And mm-hmm. so I'd much rather focus on smaller stuff where you have the potential to grow this, you know, whether you do a, a small flip of a four unit or you buy a small shopping center or whatever, that is kind of under the radar screen of the syndicators. Uh, I think the returns are a lot bigger, you know, potential returns. And so. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting. Yeah. yeah. That's really interesting. Okay. So I want to go back a step or two. Um, a lot of people probably heard about or, or picked up on the way that you purchased these first deals and uh, their ears might've perked up that you didn't really have to put up any of your own money or you didn't have to get bank loans. Um, like this is something that I think is very confusing to beginner investors. So can you demystify a little bit the, the strategies you use to buy these properties without um, bank loans or needing to have tons of your own money up front, and, and even maybe talk about some of your favorite um, creative financing deals or you know deals that you would recommend to people? Okay, so if if we just go back to the very first few deals that I did, were probably you know the first twenty five units. Um, you know, the banking regulations were different back then, where they so you could easy, you could go out and get an eighty percent loan like you can now, um, but nowadays because of the real estate market crash and everything like that, no matter how much money you can get from the seller for your down payment, like they'll finance your down payment, the bank still for the most part wants to see you a skin in the game. Mm-hmm. But back when I started, which was in the late 90s, early 2000s, uh, a bank would allow you to take a second mortgage from the seller um, for the entire down payment. And wow. so, uh, so that's that's the first thing. So that's so you can now banks will do a combination. I'm just trying to sell a building to my daughter right now, and uh, this is a three unit building, and and they're letting me of the twenty percent they need to put down, they're letting me finance fifteen percent of it as the seller. Does that make sense? And so uh, so there so that is still, but it's a way to get a lot of your down payment. So your your cash flow is compressed when you do that, but you can you can get into a property that you wouldn't normally be able to afford. Mm. So. Is that strategy feasible today? Like, is the strategy or any of the creative uh, financing strategies, would, would those still work today? Some of the ones that you thought about, or if they don't, what are some of the ways that they could uh, maybe do creative financing today? Yeah, so I've, okay. oh, the one thing I wanted to say was this too, is like when you get into a deal where there's a lot of creative financing, it probably means that there's something that is less than perfect about the deal. Does that make sense? And so somebody told me once where, you know, um, challenging properties are easy to buy and hard to sell. And it's the opposite with, with really, you know, great properties. They're hard to buy, but very easy to sell. So if you're, if you're looking at a, a lot of times, if you don't have a lot of your own money, um, and you're and you're needing some assistance with down payment or something like that, and you're going to get some assistance from the seller. That means there's there's a reason why they're doing that, and it's usually because maybe the property's not in the best area. Maybe the property has some deferred maintenance that the that the owner doesn't want to chip in and or, or do before he he sells the property. He or she sells the property, and so um, and so I feel like. Um, you know, the banks will still allow you to, to finance part of the down payment. I'm just not really sure how much of the entire thing they would let you finance. Whereas before, when I got started, they let you finance 100% of the down payment. And so, um, so you just, 
there's some things to watch out for. I mean, so you're getting into a property without much of your own money, but um, you know, you've got to make sure you've got enough of a cash reserve to handle the bumps that's going to come that are going to come after you buy the property, you know, whether mm-hmm. so. Um, and so, there, you know, the banks, a lot of times they'll say, oh, oh you're buying a property for $100,000, you want to put $20,000 into it. So, uh, so you can find a bank that'll say, okay, the total deal is 120. And so we're, we're just going to take 20% of that entire thing, we're going to add, we're going to we're going to leave the repairs, uh, the money in escrow, and you can pull it out. Um, and so you're going to kind of begin in a combination of, uh, of a bank that will allow you to put the renovations in the deal and maybe a seller that's willing to help you out. I think there's, it's just a, you know, it's just kind of just uh, experimenting around and, and finding out what various banks will let you do. Mm-hmm. And, and it really varies a lot from one bank to the next. Like you're never going to go to you, a, a big national bank and say, will you finance a deal where I'm getting all my down payment from the seller, you know, mm-hmm. financed, but some of the little neighborhood banks uh, that really know the real estate. Well, maybe that are that are in the neighborhood that of the property you're buying or something like that. You can get a lot more flexibility with some of those. So I want to talk about two scenarios, one for a complete beginner and one for someone that might have eight or 10 units already. And they're trying to figure out their next steps in 2020, coronavirus, so much uncertainty, but also such tight inventory on market. So let's say there's someone out there and they are trying to figure out how to get into this game. They don't have any units, but they know with a passion, they're dead set. They want to get into um apartment building investing. And, and I guess at this point, not so important to specify if that's a four unit, an eight unit, a, like a 15 unit. They, they, let's say maybe have working experience. So they have skills, they can analyze, you know, they can talk to people, but they're just not sure where to get started, how to start, or what steps they should take when they look on the MLS or they look at a deal a broker sends them and the numbers don't really make sense. And they're starting to get frustrated. Like, I've been, I've been analyzing deals that brokers send me for three months. I don't own anything yet. And uh, I haven't been able to get anything under contract. So like, what should I do? You know, and, and I'm asking this because I know you, you mentor some beginners and you have kids, you know, so like for someone that's looking to get started, what, what steps should they take? Well, that's, it's a complicated question because, um, you know, the best thing that I can say, and that I think that, that you could get from other people is this like, how did you do it? You know what I mean? Because I can, I can very easily explain how I did it. Um, when you start asking the question of what should I do, that becomes a little bit more complicated. So I have a friend and she, and she came to me and she said, I've got some money, um, you know, cause I'm getting some bonuses at work and I want to invest in real estate. What do you think I should do? And so it's just, a, it's a very complicated question because, you know, we really had to sit down and dig into what her goals were. So her particular goals were, you know, I want to be involved with real estate. I want to event when I stop working, I want to be able to like, um, kind of do that full time. And so I want to get started while I'm still working, but okay. So does that mean that you wanted to, uh, you probably want to hire a management company then, uh, to run it for you. So you don't get a bunch of calls while you're working at your big corporation. Uh, she's like, okay, that makes sense. Uh, do you care if there's some months where you uh, don't make money? You know, because let's just say you bought an eight unit and you need a new roof and one of your heaters, go, uh, furnaces goes out. 
in the same month. Okay, now so now your 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 cash flow might have been a little tight to begin with, and you got to come up with three grand that month. You know what I mean? Take like, and so she's like, no, I do not want to have a month where I have to uh, where I uh, have to come out of pocket. Like I want this thing to be kind of an investment that runs on autopilot or whatever. So so she's it's she's got some some uh, some tough criteria there so what we decided for her be like okay well so you probably want to to buy a building instead of buying 10 units maybe you should buy four but just have a ton of equity in it you know and get a 50 percent bank loan instead of a 80 percent bank loan that way if you have two or three empties or you have um a major repair that comes up that's never going to be you you've got money that's accumulating very quickly in your operating account because you didn't take out a full leverage loan you know um and so your cash flow is greater every month. And so, um, and so it is, it is really challenging to know exactly how to counsel people until you really dig into what, what they want that to look like for their, what they want their life to look like while they're owning that piece of real estate. So normally though, I say it is so much easier to get involved with real estate when you have a chunk of cash. Mm. And so what are the different ways you can get cash? You can either borrow it from somebody else which means now you've not only have to pay your bank loan back, but you've got to pay them back. Or you can try to figure out a different way to get cash, which is not that easy. But I usually say, uh, you know, flipping is the way to get cash. And so I, I have worked with some folks right now. I'm doing a flip with a couple guys, you know, a couple guys are getting started. We bought a condo a couple months ago for 85 grand. It just got listed for 160. We got about 100, 105, 110 in it. And so we're going to split the profits of that. And so when they're done with that, they'll walk away with 30 grand or whatever. Right. And so, and, 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 and these folks wouldn't have the, the ability to probably generate $30,000 in one lump sum any other way. Mm. And so, so I kind of feel like cutting, like getting a chunk of money that you can then parlay into the next thing is for personally, for me, I like that better than borrowing a lot of money to try to figure out how to happen because you how to get into real estate because you don't have a lot of money because sure. you know if you're super leveraged up to 100 uh, percent or or close it's just, the cash flow is just going to be tight you know and so um, so the way that I've grown my business uh, not only with with buying a bunch of stuff kind of in the beginning whereas the lending requirements were uh, lower and kind of getting lucky is that I I only look for deals right now that are really um they have a, a significant repositioning component to it that requires a lot of uh you know rehab and stuff like that and mm -hmm. so and the way that i do that is that i cannot be looking all over the country i can't be looking all over the city of cincinnati for that you know because uh, there's people like me looking every day so i just really focus in on some parts of town where i really understand the market um and, and I drive by things every day and I start to notice things like, geez, that, that house has been empty for six months, you know, because I'm, uh, I'm driving by it every day. I know it. Once that house hits the market that's been empty for six months, there's going to be a bunch of people that are swooping in and, and bidding the price up. But if you are able to locate the, the person that owns it through whatever means and reach out to them and say, I noticed this house is empty and the grass is long, um, are you have any interest in selling? Um, so you just, so, so everything that I've done in the last 10 or 15 years has been purely because I really understand the market. Well, I drive by things a lot. And I know that when something, somebody calls me about something or I drive by something, I could say, I know for sure what this thing is going to be worth, uh, after I'm done with it, or I know mm -hmm. for sure what the rents are going to be, you know? 
Mm-hmm. That's really so, good. And and so I assume for the most part, you're investing locally. And then I guess just on that front, you know, you're getting a base knowledge to know the areas from there. Are you doing anything <clears throat> direct to seller or like, what's your, what is your typical deal flow look like or deal flow strategy um, to, to get leads to review or to get leads within those neighborhoods that you're realizing or where you want to be? So um, there are real estate agents around that kind of specialize in whatever type of property it is. So when we bought this condo here recently, um, this is a real estate agent that flips a bunch of condos herself. Mm. And so she, um, she really understands um, the value when you buy and how much you can sell for. Um, and so we have a couple of real estate agents like that. Uh, one that we bought a six unit building with that we're re- I'm rehabbing with that young man that I'm been mentoring and another one that uh, is helping us out with uh, with this flip. And so, um, and then one of the things that this young guy has done too, is he just become extremely familiar with a particular neighborhood in Cincinnati. And he basically knows who owns almost every building in that neighborhood. That's not in perfect shape and what their status is. He'll, he'll say, I, cause we can, you know, I'm sure it's the same in every community, but you can kind of find out who owns a property. And, and, you know, if you dig enough, you can figure out how to contact them. But, um, you know, I, I called on this one. It's, it's vacant. The person's it's, it's stuck in probate. You know, I called on this one. Uh, someone said was in a nursing home and her kids said, you know, um, they'll call me if, if, if something changes, you know, so it's just kind of just like putting your feelers out, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for bigger deals, um, that, that gets a little bit more challenging just because, uh, the market's so hot right now and there's a lot of people chasing deals that it just is, uh, you know, I still go on trying to find kind of the needle in the haystack before stuff hits the market. Um, and so that's just a lot about um, going to real estate investor meetings and talking to people. And there's just all kinds of stuff that happens when you network properly with uh, people that are doing what you want to do. And, and there are, um, you know, I'll have lunch with somebody and they'll say, tell me about your stuff. You're looking to sell anything. And I'll say, yeah, I kind of, I'm thinking about selling that. And, mm. and if you can get the first look at something before it hits the market, um, then you're so far ahead of everybody else. Um, so if somebody came to me and they said, you got anything that you really want to sell? I'd say, well, yeah, this, this building over here is, 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 you know, it's causing me a lot of, um, stress because of whatever the issue is, you know, I'm having trouble keeping it full or whatever. And that's like, well, I might be interested in that, you know, and then I might say to them, well, you know, I'd really like this much money. Uh, and, uh, and I'll help you, help you buy it. You know, you get some time, you know, I'll give you a, I'll put some money into an escrow account so you can, um, um, you know, put some money into it as soon as we close or whatever. So there's, there's just, I, I think networking is this the hugest thing. So hundred percent. That, that really is. And that's why it is kind of one of those things that it, as, as much as people would like a quick way to find their first deal and get into it, you know, making relationships is not something that happens overnight. It doesn't happen on the first meeting. It doesn't even happen in maybe the fifth meeting, you know, it is time and reputation and getting to know someone, you know, I, I always say it's like dating, you know, you don't, 
you're not committing to marry someone on the first date. You know, you're, that would be just be weird. You know, like you don't want to, you don't want to make your intentions over the top. It just, you know, it takes time to develop naturally. Now, sure. Some people can be better at it. And there are some things you can do to speed up a relationship, like do a deal with someone or make some offers. So they know you're serious. Like that's, that's one that I always tell people is if you want to speed up a relationship with a broker and prove that you're not a tire kicker, start making offers. Like, they will send you stuff and then you need to tell them if you like it or not within a day. And if you like it, you need to make an offer and you need to be able to explain why you're at that price. And if not, you're going to get bounced off their list or they're just going to forget about you. If they have a pocket listing, they're obviously not going to send it to you. So I guess all that said, I'm just curious, Dan, as we kind of wind down here, um, where do you, where do you think um, the opportunity is in 2021 or, you know, where are you getting ready to, let's say park some more of your, your money or your energy into um, with all the things that are going on, you know, uh, COVID is maybe winding down, but you know, interest rates are low, meaning inventory is really tight. It's very competitive. You know, there's maybe talks that there's going to be a recession coming and there's a lot of challenges in some places around, um, evictions, you know, and, uh, moratoriums lifting or extending. So like all that said, that's a lot of noise, you know, for some people it's a lot of noise. Where, where do you see opportunity or where do you plan to maybe attack or, you know, focus in the next six to 12 months? Well, I would say that I'm going to be selling a bunch of stuff, I think, while the prices are just <laughs> high and exchanging and, you know, doing tax deferred exchanges into some, uh, some less stressful type things, triple net leases and stuff. But the, with, the, with the younger folks I'm working with, I, I think that the, the biggest opportunity that I see right now that kind of is not on the radar screen of everybody would be kind of mixed use. Um, where if I go into cool little pockets of town where you'll have a storefront and, and then two or four apart apartments on top of it, I feel like that is a, an area where you can really still get some deals. And so, and I'm really, I really like the economic development aspect of real estate where you can come in. And so what I do is I go, um, you know, into a neighboring town where I'm not 100% familiar with it, like I am the very little town that I live in. And I'll say, I'll meet with the economic development director. I just walk into her office and I'll say, hey, um, I know some of your storefronts are empty in town here. Tell me what's going on. What type of business would you like to recruit or whatever? And, uh, and then, you know, it's really neat because you can get good deals on those things still. And you're kind of seen as a... Uh, you know, a really positive factor in the community where you're, where you're uh, um, kind of rehabbing something that's in the middle of downtown or whatever. And, uh, and I feel like that was before COVID hit, that was, there was a real resurgence in, and uh, kind of that urban living or walkable living where people want to live in those units when they can just walk out and go to the coffee shop a couple doors down and things like that. So that's where I think the biggest opportunity is. I, I'm assuming that we're going to be okay when this is all over and uh, people still want that, but mm -hmm. um, there's some real bargains out there in those types of properties. So cool. Last question. Um, a lot of people come on the show and talk about their, let's say, focus on what they're really good at and not doing the things that they're not so good at. And for some people, that means they're, they're good at building relationships or they're good at building systems or they're good at analyzing deals. So I'm just curious for you, since it doesn't seem like you have a, a bigger team, um, which is in this case, an amazing thing that, you know, you can control the properties yourself. What do you think are your like favorite skills or the activities that you think you're best at in the operation? 
Well, the, the, the about the only thing that I have a, a lot of passion for is finding the next deal. I mean, that is what <laughs> I just, I love finding uh, something that nobody else has seen. I love analyzing it. Um, and I've learned the hard way that, um, you know, I buy a property only if I can live with it exactly as it is right now. And so if, if I think if I'm going to buy a property that has, uh, you know, some apartments in it and they're getting $500 a month, but if I think I can rehab it and get $800 a month, I'm going to make sure that whatever I pay, I can live with $500 a month because if, because I know that's the only thing that is known at this point is that people are living in them and they're paying $500 a month. Nobody can say with 100% certainty that after I fix it up, they're going to give me eight or eight fifty a month. So, but I know I can get 500. And so, mm-hmm. so this is all I'm going to do is look at the property right now. Can I live with it at 500 a month? And and if I put money into it and it doesn't work out, can I still get $500 a month? And is, is that going to, uh, am I still going to be uh, okay? Can I survive that? Because what's happened is that over the years, I have, um, I was convinced by gurus and convinced by <laughs> salespeople and stuff like that, that, hey, you know, it's okay. Pay a little bit more for that property because you're going to be able to rent the units for a lot less or a lot more when you're done. And a lot of those projections, I sold a property 15 years after I bought it, 120 unit apartment community. And I never got the rents after 15 years that I was projecting uh, as soon as I was done rehabbing it. And mm. so you just don't know. Um, and so that's so that's that's what I think that I'm best at is being very realistic. I'd make a lot of offers on properties I'm, or, or I have learned which ones not, aren't even worth making an offer on because I know they're gonna go so, so high. Um, you know, a lot of brokers will say, if you say, can you give me the, uh, some guidance on this? And I feel like brokers appreciate that. You know, they don't want you, if the guidance is a million dollars on a piece of property and you were just about ready to offer 600, you know, there's no, uh, um, you know, you don't want to waste a lot of people's time. So, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so, cause they kind of know, you know, they've been, you know, before that. So, um, so going back to your original question, that is, that is what I love to do is I love to, if a young, I will do it for people all the time. I have no piece of the deal. They're like, I'm, I'm thinking about investing this property. I'm like, well, let me go walk, look, walk it with you, you know, and I'll spend hours analyzing the deal just because it's so, um, so interesting to me to figure mm. out how to, what, what, a, what an appropriate offer is, how to get it financed, um, you know, being careful so you don't make a mistake. So. I said last question, but I feel like I need to ask. This is just the last follow up, and mm-hmm. and that is uh, that is a great soundbite. I don't I don't think we've ever had anyone on the show that has talked about that because it's mostly the people that are that are doing it, syndicators who they need to pitch that in order to get their investors involved. You know that these are the projected returns, and I, it's funny even that you had a at a situation where you know you had a partner and it was kind of weird, and then it had to unwind. You know, and and I feel like that that does happen when there is this like strong expectation of, of returns. And if you're not hitting, you're not hitting, but anyway, I mean, that can happen in any case, I guess just the last question. Um, can you just walk us through your process of analyzing a deal when it comes in? Well, okay. First of all, when the deal comes in, I like, I roll up my sleeves because I'm, like, yeah, <laughs> I'm ready to spend some time on this. And I start to look at, um, it, it, does anything jump out at me right away as being irregular? Um, one of the most common things that a real estate agent will do when they're advertising a deal to the public is they will leave the real estate taxes, what they've always been, 
and not what they're going to go up to when you buy the property. And so, and there are so many people that still buy it anyway. I don't understand it, but you know, if you're, if you, if a property is sitting at, so you, you go in, you look at what the property uh, is valued at right now. You can find that on the internet. Um, it's valued at 250, but they're selling it for 600 mm. um, because they've done some rehab or they've held it for a long time. Um, you know, you know that you've got to, you've got to bump up your taxes because that's going to, they're going to go up after you close on it. And so you just, so you, you're going through line by line and you're trying to figure out what is, what looks normal and what looks irregular. Um, if you have, if the owner uh, manages the property themselves and doesn't have a management fee built in, even if you're going to manage it yourself, the bank will, will put a management fee into it because they have to assume that if they have to take the property back, they're going to put a manager in there to run it. Um, uh, and so, you know, it's just really uh, spending a lot of time with deals and trying to figure out what's, what's normal and what's abnormal. And the same would be true with a flip or whatever, you know, what is uh, kind of getting your numbers down. Like I know if this is a, a 250 square foot kitchen that it's going to cost me X number of dollars to put a new kitchen in that. You know what I mean? So it's like, um, so no matter what anybody else tells me, I kind of know. Uh, and so I put my own numbers on there, which means that then I pass on after I do that analysis and I will not, I just, I'll just will pass on 90% of the deals because, you know, whoever's trying to sell that property, their goal is to make it look as attractive as possible. And my goal is to figure out where they fudge the numbers Mm. to make it look as attractive as possible. And so, um, and so I'll call, you know, a lot of times before I make an official offer, I'll call and I'll say, this is what I'm seeing with the numbers. Um, and I know you're asking 600 for it, but I'm coming up around 475. Um, I just want you to know that. And if you, uh, if you think that is worth submitting, I'll do it. And if not, I'm not going to waste your time, you know? So I don't, I don't really want to get the reputation of, of con- constantly submitting these ridiculously low ball offers, but I do call them and I say, this is where I'm coming up right now. And I, and I, and, and, and they always appreciate, you know, the fact that I've spent a lot of time with it. And they, but they're like, yeah, you know, we'll get it. Somebody's going to pay it. So sure. Um, and someone will today, but mm-hmm. just not the savvy people. So they'll wait for the right deal or, or not the desperate people, not the people that are, that are their whole life or th- their whole fee depends on doing a deal. Um, those people can wait and you can wait for the right deal to come across that meets your numbers and you don't have to be impulsive, which is a nice position to be in. So, yeah. Um, well, Dan, this has been fun, man. Um, I, I will say this. There are not that many people we've had on the show that have as, as high in a unit number count as you without uh, syndicating or giving away as much as the equity if they have. So uh, it's, a cra- it's a great story. It's a very cool story. I'm sure we're going to have a lot of questions about creative financing and you know what people are trying to do with that today. So uh, we might circle back with you on that. But uh, I just want to say thank you again for coming on. And what's, what's the best way for people to, to check you out? Uh, connect with you, send you a deal, um, anything like that? Well, I have a website, uh, unitedpropertygroup.com. And uh, and so my name, Dan Gorman, so it's just dgorman at unitedpropertygroup.com. So uh, um, I communicate a lot. I think you and I reached out with each other with LinkedIn, which mm-hmm. is, uh, that's I get a lot of uh, businessy type communication with that medium, but uh, happy to answer any questions or dig into a deal with anybody. Cool. All right. All day long, so. Awesome. Well, and I think uh, uh, some people are going to take you up on that, which is awesome. So Dan, uh, thank you again 
so much for coming on and uh, all the best in uh, 2020 and beyond, man. Have a great holiday. Great. Thank you. Hey, you millennial millionaire. Are you looking for help getting to the next level in real estate? Are you looking for accountability and strategy to achieve your goals? If so, Jonathan is now taking on one-on-one students and opening a few spots in his private mastermind. It's affordable and welcome to everyone. If you had any questions or think you may need a boost, send Jonathan a message on Facebook or email at johnjfarber at outlook.com. 